Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. Oof, and this is Fish Jelly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. What is this business about Berlin and Can announcing the presidents, like the jury presidents? Well, I, you know, it's it's a, about time for Berlin. It's probably we're probably about a month out before we get the competition. They they notice some for they announce some forum sidebar items, but it's it's an appropriate time for them to you know name their jury president, which will be Lupita Nyong'o this year. But then for some reason, like a day later, Can is like, oh, by the way, Greta Gerwig is our is our jury president for you know the may film festival so that is odd that can would announce it so early sometimes they do but it just seems really like what why right now we can we can wait to find out about can okay they haven't even they haven't even closed their selection process for films like interesting i mean and you know to be a little honest i'm i'm tired of hearing about greta gerwig oh (laughs) I am. I, I, I am. I'm, I'm tired of Barbie. Tired of hearing about it. It was a movie that was just fine to me. Well, let's make a hard transition then to these rental electric scooters. Uh-huh. We live in an area where they're all over the place. I was outside one night and I saw a drunk man and he he, he hit a parked car. He ran straight into it. I think these uh, rental electric scooters are like a public safety issue because well, some areas more uh, high flutin areas don't like them because people, you know, just dump them wherever when they're done with them. They do. Mm -hmm. Every time I leave the house, there's one like right in front on the side, like in the middle of the sidewalk dropped in the door. One day I had to like one was dropped in the middle of the driveway. So I had to get out of my car and move it. Sometimes they're in the middle of the street, but Yes, I've had to move them out of the way to for to obtain a parking spot on the street before. Not- How many times has someone told you a story about either getting hit while riding an electric scooter or hitting someone riding an electric scooter or uh, almost hitting someone? It uh, happens all the time. Uh, a few times. Like somebody at the bar a couple weeks ago, <laughs> I guess, needed to talk and told me all about, showed me the scar where there's a plate in his head because he was hit by a car and was in a coma. These scooters don't seem safe. Uh, people usually don't aren't, aren't wearing helmets or any protective gear. I don't know what kind of training a person needs to like. I think yeah. any asshole with a, a, a smartphone can rent one of these scooters. And then you see people driving on ma- major thoroughfares, going pretty fast, weaving in and out of cars. And I'm thinking, you know, these LA roads are not smooth. You hit like one little pothole and you go flying. I just, I don't know. I mean, you know, everybody, what do they say? Everybody has a secret, uh, was it Thanatos, uh, a death wish, Thanatopsis. Oh, is, is, that's what, is that what's happening? Also, 
every person I've ever asked, how much does it cost to like rent those? They never know. They never know. Probably and then I was trying to look it up. Statements or what? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Every person I've asked, they, they, they say they don't know exactly how much it costs. They know what they get charged in the end. But, and then I was looking on the website of one and they're not clear on the pricing. They say you need to download the app because it varies from city to city. What it sounds like is that you pay an unlock fee just to have access to it, which is, could be like a dollar. And then you pay per minute, like 39 cents per minute. Oh. That was an example I saw. So a 15 minute ride would cost you like almost $7. So it behooves you to go fast. and oh, Sure. But also I'm thinking a 15 minute ride. I mean, so that that would probably be like a ten dollar Uber ride then. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'd rather be in like a safer motor vehicle, sure, with like a carriage around me and some air conditioning. I don't know. Moving on, I also wanted to complain about the gym because I feel like people are so raggedy and they have no etiquette. Drag them. So first of all. The locker room at the gym I go to every, there are like 10 signs that say, do not use your phone to take pictures or record video in the locker room Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, because there are people in various states of undress. A vulnerability. In the locker room. And when I tell you every time I walk in there, which is usually to pee and wash my hands, there are at least like five people doing full on like video shoots. And it is so annoying. And y'all look so stupid. And yes, there are a lot of people who look like fitness models, so it's not like they look crazy. But, but it's you, just like you look dumb and you But wh- you look dumb. You look fucking basic. Okay. It's basic. Well, how many pictures or videos do you need of yourself? So in, I can get likes on wall. In the same well, in the same background. Like it just <laughs> I don't know. Bye. But I see the same people doing it. That shit drives me crazy. Yep. Then I've noticed a lot like i don't know if it's just like a time management issue or whatever but i notice a lot of people coming to the gym with like street clothes on and they use and they wear their street clothes on their equipment yes like khaki pants no there isn't that against the rules well this is my other complaint the gym is not enforcing any rules last night when i was there there was a man in like his work clothes like i don't know how you refer to like dress shoes slacks and then he was on the treadmill with no shirt on. Is that allowed? Running. Is that allowed? He was doing it. And okay. he was on there the entire time I was doing my cardio. So he was on there for a minute. That's crazy. Then you get people, I don't know if they can't afford a padlock or they don't feel safe leaving their stuff in their car, but they bring these big ass duffel bags in. Well, there are two scenarios. The first one is these people who bring in these big duffel bags and they don't want to lock them in the locker room. So they bring them onto the gym floor. Also, I think I'm pretty sure that's against the actual I'm sure it is, but no one's enforcing it. So now you have all these assholes with these huge duffel bags like in the middle of the row between like equipment. So now that's a hazard. Then you get the other group of people with their bags. There are people who come in there with full on like roller bags. Like they're taking a seven day trip somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's like a full production. This is why some people I think don't see results because it's like you spend like, I don't know. I would be so embarrassed to spend so much time and effort going to the gym 
to look the way I do. That's why I don't ever really talk about the gym or my nutrition because it's like, I don't want people looking at me like, that's what you look like if you do that. I don't, I don't think you'll get that reaction. But. Well, maybe not me, but you know, a lot of people talk like, I mean, how many times have you heard people say like, oh, I run five miles every day. And it's like, where? To McDonald's? Where the fuck you run? And like, you don't look like. I mean, I do run. Uh, I don't get that reaction when I say it, but no. yeah. Uh, yes. Well, but you look like you are active every day. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you don't kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Don't oh. stare me in my face and tell me how I shouldn't be eating whatever because of this and that. And you look like. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty. Um, <laughs> yes. But also, I haven't had a gym membership since we first moved to L.A., uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I work out on the roof of our house and I do, I, I run and mostly because it's, so I don't have to be around other people. I work out on the patio because it's easier. Like I can literally just wake up or whatever I'm doing. You, you don't need to have a bunch of equipment. To you have don't need to have a, a bunch of shit. You don't need to have fancy clothes to get in like, and act, like get your heart rate up, get moving, stretch, work on your flexibility, strength training. You don't need anything. I think the gym is a trap. Uh, or, but you know, it's a nice that the other thing is it's, it's a, an excuse to get out of the house. Everybody's motivations are different. I get that. Maybe you have a personal trainer there, but I, you know, I also know a lot of gay men and like we we're friends with people that it's like, they live in a building that has a gym, but they still want to go, uh, ogle, uh, boys at the gym. So it's like, people have all kinds of reasons for going. I'm the type, like, I'm going in, I need to get something done. I don't want to waste time on parking. I don't want to wait for a machine. I don't want somebody asking if I'm done doing my set. I just want to go. I think it's okay to want to go to a gym, like, if if, if it motivates you to have a destination yes. and see the people. And, you know, the gym can be fun because there's music and it's just something to do. I enjoy going primarily, well, for that reason, also, it's very inexpensive because through our health insurance, the gym I go to is essentially free. So it, and then the, it's very close to our house. Yes, and, yes. you know, I'm very concerned about parking and this gym has very nice, secure, covered, guard gated parking. So it's all a perfect storm for me, but I understand what you are saying. But my final gripe about the gym that I wanted to mention, the most important one is there is one employee who cleans this gym and I see her all the time. She must be full time because it seems like whatever day, whenever time I go, I see her. They have this lady cleaning during rush, like peak hours. So she's always there cleaning and she's cleaning while you're using the equipment. So you could be on the equipment and she's wiping it down while you're on it. I hate that. Yeah. She's vacuuming in between the equipment. So she, the vacuum's hitting the equipment while you're on it. So it's always startling. But the thing that drives me the most crazy, and I will have it on record that I have sent emails to management twice with pictures, is that she uses the vacuum that has like you wear the canister as a backpack and mm -hmm. then the attachment, you know, you just use it on the floor. Like a c custodial Ghostbuster. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it looks like. And it's a corded vacuum, like it has a cord. Mm -hmm. One of those big yellow utility uh, cords that's plugged into an outlet and it's long. It's like, who even knows, 75 feet long. It's, it's super long. This lady, that cord is tangled, like wrapped around equipment across the floor in front of the stairs. 
you know what? It's going to take one person to get injured and that shit will get shut down real fast. I have taken pictures. I've like, I wish this were a video podcast right now so I could show the pictures I've taken. Literally, it looks like a booby trap. The way the electrical cord is in front of the stairs, sometimes it's wrapped around the stairs. So as you're walking up, it's like Mission Impossible, like with the lasers. And I'm not being hyperbolic. If anyone goes to the Gold's Gym in Hollywood, you know what I'm saying, that this lady with this vacuum and this cord is wrapped around equipment. And so I have sent pictures to management, like, saying like this is a hazard someone's going to trip and fall somebody that in a desperate hour one day is going to see what a golden opportunity that is for them. shit i've been thinking maybe i need to trip on this damn cord and fall down the stairs it's just so crazy the the gym is wild like how people just are in a bubble it's almost like being on an airplane where people just lose all sense of oh yeah anywhere where there's a large congregation of people and they all have to be there for something but uh, i don't know about the women's locker room but the men's locker room you have men at the like you know the the restroom like where the sinks are there are i believe like five or six sinks and you will have guys in there like full on grooming. Oh yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. cutting their hair. That's always been the case. Always. Coloring their beard, clipping their toenails, like waxing Ex- their bodies, examining their pubis. Yeah. Like what? are you y'all can do this at home. <sighs> yes. Y'all can do this at home. I can yeah. I don't it, it's just too much. I went on and on. Moving on to the restaurant section. We finally checked out this restaurant in Silver Lake called The Kitchen. I don't have room in my kitchen. (laughs) That's a serial mom reference. Mm -hmm. I know that. Yes. The Kitchen, yes. Finally walked by it countless times. It's it's a restaurant like connected to Akbar, the gay bar in Silver Lake on Sunset and Fountain. One of my favorites. So I've walked by this restaurant so many times and we finally went for lunch on Saturday. Mm -hmm. What did you think of The Kitchen? I liked the ambiance. I thought it was very cute. Um, the, it, as you said, it was a little expensive for what it was, but we both had cheeseburgers. I'm interested to try some other things, like they had something called Java Calamari, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was fine. It was pleasant. I also thought it was cute. Like if I were visiting from out of town mm-hmm. and staying in the area... They have happy hours. I would definitely go for happy hours. Yeah, it was. It's very small, mm-hmm. uh, but I think the way the seating is arranged, it it's effective and not feeling too cramped. They have I, outside seating as well. I and like you mentioned, I thought it was a little spendy for what it was, a little. Um, but yeah, I would definitely go back. There is outside seating, but it's not nice. You're literally like on the sidewalk. You're on the sidewalk, <laughs> and if you go another block down behind the McDonald's, there is a small oh, encampment. That's there's a homeless like, encampment yeah. very close by. Mm-hmm. So, but they do have a parking lot. They share it with Akbar. So, depending on the time of day, you could find very easy parking. Do we want to talk about how you almost burned the house down the other day? <laughs> you do. Well, it's partially my fault. Mm-hmm. So Nick shared a recipe for this pull apart pizza concoction. Pizza bread. And basically it's like you take one of those spring form cake pans and mm-hmm. cut up a bunch of like biscuit dough um, with pe- like garlic butter. Pepperoni and cheese. cheese, oregano, darling. It and, and, and a lot of butter. And the video you sent me looked amazing. I actually made my own homemade garlic butter first. It smelled very good, all that. Okay, so... And we have a springform pan that my sister bought us, mm-hmm. but we never used it. 
she used it once to bake us a cheesecake, but we had never used it. So I'm very excited for you to make this thing. And we get the spring form cake pan and, you know, put all the ingredients in it, put it in the oven at 450 at 450. And I'm sitting upstairs in our bedroom and the fire alarm. No, you weren't. You were in um, the office. You were in the ki- You were in the living room. Was I? Yes. Oh, I was in the, mm-hmm. all, oh, that's right. Anyway, all of a sudden the fire alarm system starts going off and it's super loud. And this house is four stories. So mm-hmm. on every level in every room, there's this, this like fire, fire. And, and then it's saying fire, fire. And in between the fires, this like piercing sound. And so I'm like, wow, that's not uncommon when something starts to smoke. But what we didn't realize is the spring form pan is not like airtight i should have i should have known better so as the butter was melting like liquid it was just dripping out of the pan onto the bottom of the oven and that was burning and creating an enormous amount of smoke billowing i mean it was alarming so of course i turn on the air conditioning open up all the windows and it i mean it was just getting worse yeah i even went outside and it was very loud outside, yes. <laughs> but it was burning. It was burning my eyes. Like, yeah, it was burning my eyes too. Uh, but but we didn't know. Now we do. And I put the cat in the car. We had to put the cat in the car because the sound was too loud. And well, I, thought, I didn't want her to get inhale the smoke. I didn't want her to die from that. Um, from that. But what did you think of? So we actually did get to eat it. We had to we had to finish cooking it in our convection like uh, counter oven or whatever. Yeah. But it was good. And now I know next time I use the springform pan. Yeah. <laughs> I also made that same day a rum uh, bunt cake. Which you, so you were inspired by one your mom used to make when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. And you weren't exactly happy with what you made. I actually loved it. It's fine, but it's not what I wanted the, the You wanted something the, the more dense and moist. Had. And yeah. Because hers was like a real wet cake and you could taste that rum. I would have you make this again. I thought it was perfect because it has the texture and tastes like an old-fashioned glazed buttermilk donut. The glaze is really good, which is my favorite. Sure, yeah, the it's a it was ended up being very cakey. It's the perfect um, like thing to eat with coffee. Sure. Um. So I would you could definitely make that again. But yeah, I'll probably ask her if she remembers how she made hers. But and then. Uh, lastly, after I talked about the holiday drinks from Starbucks, I got a couple of messages about uh, wanting to hear me talk more about Starbucks. And one person I believe works at Starbucks, mm-hmm. so I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I guess, like, if we had Starbucks stories, I don't have any. You know, the first thing I think of when I think of Starbucks are homeless people. Oh. <laughs> it's true. There is one. There is a, a Starbucks I love sitting in. It's a Starbucks Reserve in Echo Park. But that's mainly because if I don't like the vibe that day, there's another place I can go to, like for options. But uh, I usually don't like sitting in Starbucks because there's a bunch of people camped in there. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is I usually think whenever I tell someone, whenever someone says, like, what are you doing? And I say, oh, I'm, I'm getting coffee. They go, where? And I say, Starbucks. They act like that's trash. <laughs> like, like they would never... 
like why don't you go to a mom and pop place? a mom and pop place where they serve nice coffee sure but sometimes and, you need things fast i don't know well two things first of all i drink mcdonald's coffee almost every day i you do and i don't really like mcdonald's coffee. and i like mcdonald's coffee <gasps> and with the app when there is a coupon it's 99 cents for any size and so you know i like that sure but also if i'm an, i'm a very busy person very busy very important and i'm I'm in a rush. So I like that I can order this shit on my phone, mm-hmm. pull in where there's usually parking and a bathroom, grab my shit and go. I do like mom and pop places, but then in LA, if it's a trendy place, I got to f- compete for a goddamn comfortable seat with all these other motherfuckers. Ugh. Like I just, it, it's, it's a hard balance to find that hole in the wall. I do like good coffee, but if I'm on the hunt to sit somewhere, it's more about space and comfort than it is the coffee. Uh, we did discover an, a mom and pop coffee shop yesterday called Friends and Family. I did like that, which I did think was nice. And the, and and uh, the people we met there had other recommendations that I'd like to check out in that area because it's on Hollywood Boulevard, and I never want to stay anywhere on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, so, but I was surprised at how cute that was. Yeah. Moving on, there was a question for Nick. What is your issue with Green Book, the movie? That it was made for white people, old white people. I didn't. The Viggo Mortensen character, I cannot stand in that. I'm happy that Mahershala Ali has. The movie is about Mahershala Ali being a driver for this white man in the 1960s. No, the white man is a driver for him. Oh. Mm -hmm. And it's set in the 1960s. I haven't seen it. So you're saying that, like, why are you saying that? It's just one, another one of those films that that's meant to placate an older white audience into believing they're not racist if they, you know, have these kind of distant, warm thoughts for black people is how I feel about it. It is nice to see a gay black character from the 60s. I think Mahershala does a great job. So, you know, it, it makes sense to me why he took that role directed by one of the Farrelly brothers. I, I never remember how to differ. I have to look up to differentiate between the two. It's either Peter or Bobby, but uh, I didn't. Yeah. It, and and the, that director has said that we made this for this audience, you know, mm. and it's like to have that win over like Spike Lee's black Klansman, you know, <laughs> Spike, who's famously uh do the right thing wasn't nominated but driving miss daisy won that year he's like god he's like i always lose every time somebody's driving somebody around um (laughs) it's 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 not for me clearly it's it was meant for a particular audience and they responded in kind to people that are in control which is why some middle of the road mediocre garbage like this won best picture oh okay Moving on to films released we didn't cover, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. I've never seen a Chicken Run movie. I know that people love I I would and I will. But um, yeah, I've never seen, I think it's the third one. This one's directed by Sam Fell, who directed The Tale of Despero, which was the first time, your first Sigourney Weaver theatrical experience with me. Was what? The Tale of Despero. Is that a cartoon? Yes, about a little mouse, and she's. I do not remember. She's the narrator. Oh my god! You were driving that uh, Range Rover. It was a huge snowstorm in Minneapolis. We saw it in Crown Block E, and we had eaten at this restaurant I liked that was by the nineteen. This little Asian restaurant. I'm forgetting the name of that. What was that? We would go there all the time. 
Was that next to that barbecue place that had like a pig yes. out front? Yes. I remember that restaurant. And there was a Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. next to that. Yep, we had gone there. It was a snowstorm, and we went to see the Tale of Despero. Oh, weren't those happier times? December of 08, I think. Moving on, the family plan. Okay, so Apple TV. There, we were invited to a press screening, but it was on the same night I saw an Ingmar Bergman film, which I much glad much would rather see. This is directed by Simon. Is it that pronounced Kellen Jones? Um, and it stars two people I don't care for: uh, Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Monaghan. Where he's an assassin, but has a family, and then his past comes to haunt him, and then we gotta move the family somewhere. Uh, this just sounds—I haven't seen it. It sounds terrible to me, but whatever. Lastly, the finest kind. I would watch this. Brian Helgeland, who I do like his debut payback, uh, who was also a screenwriter in *L.A. Confidential*. But this stars also two people I don't really care for: Ben Foster and Jenny Ortega. But it sounds like a nice little thriller to to hunker down and watch on Paramount Plus. Projects of interest. Wolfman. Okay, so this is exciting to me. Ryan Gosling was replaced by Christopher Abbott on Lee Wanell's Wolfman movies, which could be good because I liked Lee Wanell's Invisible Man with uh, uh, what, what's her name from Hen Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Uh, God, why am I blinking on her name? I don't know. I don't. I mean, I can picture her face. <laughs> I don't know her name. <laughs> anyway well, yeah you're no help see when i start losing my mind you will not be able to well we'll gladly put you somewhere and let someone take care of you well i mean i'm younger than you i don't feel like i'm gonna go first but elizabeth yeah, moss you don't take care of yourself very well but uh moving on the clooney has a new project so george clooney and adam sandler are going to be doing the new noah bomback film oh. uh, which is for netflix and you know, Adam Sandler, when paired with the right director, I'm I'm very excited to see his new project with the Safties. But, um, yeah. And Lastly, The Apprentice. This sounds crazy. Uh, so Ali Abbasi, he's Iranian-born but lives in Scandinavia. His first film was Border, which you haven't seen, but I highly recommend, um, about that strange... Uh, the, 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 it's a, it's about those border agents, <laughs> but they look like animals. Oh yeah. Uh, and then his second film was Holy Spider, which was set in Iran about a, a serial killer killing prostitutes, which won Best Actress, uh, which was pretty gritty and brutal. I didn't love it, but it was fine. Uh, he's doing a new movie called The Apprentice, and it's about the early days of Donald Trump. Oh, interesting. Uh, Sebastian Stan is playing Trump. Ooh. Jeremy Strong is playing Trump's mentor, that homosexual Roy Cohn. And uh, what's her name? Is it Maria Baklava from uh, the Bulgarian woman who's nominated for an Oscar for the Sasha Baron Cohen Borat sequel? Okay. Remember that was molested by Rui Giuliani? Yeah. Okay. Well, she's playing Ivana. Oh, wow. (laughs) Interesting. So that should be nice and odd. Let's take a break. Movies we watched for fun. Headliners only. That was a Netflix uh, property. It's about... Oh, I guess I only watched half of that. It's about Chris Rock and Kevin Hart doing a series of shows together. Um, It's not what I thought it would be. I was assuming we would get to see their comedy, but really Mm -hmm. it's sort of them talking about their careers and sort of how 
Kevin Hart uh, sees Chris Rock as sort of the greatest and a mentor and a friend. And it, it was interesting. Not quite sure the purpose of it. It didn't seem to have a POV. It was just more like, look at these two really successful comics doing something together, except that we don't see the product of that togetherness. And then it ends with them because we're, we find out that they were trying to get Dave Chappelle to go on the tour. Mm-hmm. But then it's made clear that he's, you know, he kind of does what he wants to do. Like he's not going to, but he does agree to show up on one of the nights to perform for a little bit. And we see Kevin Hart bring out an actual goat to give to Chris Rock because he's the goat. Uh, it was cute. I think it, if you like either of those people, it's worth watching. It felt like something that would have been an extra feature at a, on a disc at some point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, if they put out the actual concert of these two performing, I could see what we, what we watched being a bonus feature of that. <laughs> Next. We watched the Equalizer three. You Ugh. received the Blu-ray in the mail. I did. That shit was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen the first two. Uh, I, I I'm forgetting which one. Chloe Grace Moretz was the Russian prostitute in. But they, I don't know why Antoine Fuqua always wants to pair him with some troubled little white girl. Um, oh, in this movie, the troubled little white girl is Dakota Fanning as an FBI agent. Is Man. The- or is she? No, wait, she's CIA. I don't know, but the <laughs> story—the story is so crazy, but in a way that like can be fun because I mean, John Wick is no more ridiculous. But the story is that the opening of the film is Denzel doing something, whatever the Equalizer does, and he ends up getting injured, like shot in the like in the side of his abdomen. So he gets picked up by someone, a doctor, mm-hmm. and this doctor decides to care for him. And I swear to y'all. I, if you took out the action sequences, I really thought that this movie could have been about two older gay men falling in love. Right. Because we get quite a few scenes with Denzel and this older doctor. Who played Ferrari in the Michael Mann. No, did that, sorry, the James Mangold Ford versus Ferrari. And the impetus for like all of the action is that Denzel has come to love this little small Italian coastal town he's recuperating in, but they're being harassed by the mafia. Mm-hmm. So Denzel decides that he's going to take down the mafia uh-huh. so that he can enjoy some respite in this little village. So, yeah, I Denzel looks so out of sorts. I don't know what, like he must be having some medical issues, which know. whatever, except that, I think the movie is playing it too earnest. It either needed to be like way over the top, like a John Wick. Sure. Like he he destroys his entire mafia because someone spilled his latte, but, his cappuccino. But Denzel takes himself too seriously. He takes himself really seriously. Um, and then because there's something going on with his health, maybe. I don't, I don't know. He just looks crazy. And then he's there's this young waitress that he's flirting with it's that and that well and that the this woman is so young and beautiful i thought for sure she's like a mark or something right no this lady is legitimately interested in this man who looks like he could be her ailing father Mm -hmm. then dakota fanning is like (laughs) so awkward she is so awkward in this role yeah i couldn't believe what i watched (sighs) yeah And yes. I don't, and I'm assuming this will be the last one, maybe. I hope so. Jesus. You watched Robot Dreams? Oh, this was so cute. 
this played out of competition at Cannes. It's uh, the new film by Pablo Berger. I think his first animated film. I loved his um, black and white uh, snow, Blanca Nieves from like 2012. But I, uh, it's based on a, a strip about this these characters named Robot and Dog, and it's set in a world. Oh. Uh, it's 1980s New York, and it, instead of humans, animals occupy the city. So there's this dog that uh, sees this ad to uh, to buy a robot, I guess, for companionship, and he does. And it he it's like they it's more like a romance, but <laughs> he falls in love with this robot. They they have this sweet montage where they're going all around the city, and they go to the beach. And the robot gets in the water with him. They're splashing around. They go and lay down. And when they wake up, the robot is stuck. He can't work anymore because he's in the water, but he's still you know, awake. So the dog has to leave him there overnight. And when he goes back to try to get him, the beach is closed for the season. And every he's thwarted at every opportunity to get this dog. And he has to wait months to for the beach to reopen. Like he's even putting like arrested for trying to cut the lock to get in, blah, blah, blah. So time passes that, you know, things happen to this robot. And then uh, the dog ends up getting another one and has another like buddy relationship. Finally, the beach opens the dog and the, the dog has gone back first before he gets a new robot to find this, to find his, and he's been taken away by some, I, I forget now, but some junk connoisseur who reanimates the robot and then they have a relationship, but it's just really sweet and sad. And, and I, I felt kind of inert about it until kind of the, Oh, the cat's here to add her two cents um, towards the end, but it has a, a, I don't know. It's very sweet. <laughs> She's come to attack us. Um, and it made me discover this uh, artist and song I never heard of called William Bell, uh, whose song Happy is part of the soundtrack, which I really liked. Lovely. Strange way of life. You, well, I've seen it before. I watched this. Yes. What is it about? The Almodovar short with Oh, with Pedro Pascal and, and Ethan, Ethan Hawke, Hawk, where they're like a like lost lovers who mm-hmm. reunite over Pedro Pascal trying to save his son from being arrested for murder. It's like 30 minutes. It's produced by Yves Saint Laurent. So it looks I mean, I was reading people's critiques of it saying it's nothing but an ad for YSL. I don't think it looks like an ad because the clothes are just regular ass cowboy. Yeah, it doesn't clothes. look to me, no. All of the people who aren't Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke are models. So, you know, it's obviously interesting to see that this little okay corral type place is filled with, you know, very attractive men. But Well, as El Motivar likes to see. Um, I didn't care for it. You made a good point. Like, why not just make this a full length movie? I did think that the basic premise was really interesting. Um, but I don't think... Like someone else could make the movie, like not because it just felt I I think it would have been fun to see a movie about this sheriff in this, you know, old timey town. And then this mysterious guy shows up and it's not obvious to the audience that he's gay. Sure. But in this short, immediately when Pedro Pascal shows up, it's clear he's gay. Yeah, but then when you're only working with something for half an hour, like those, right, those right. Things have to, even the even their dialogue is just like. The exposition they have to kind of crunch through. It's very to the point. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why we needed this. Uh, I mean, I really don't know what function it serves. Well, he's, you know, he was, El Motobar was going to develop, what's that 
I forget the name of the, a guide for cleaning women or something is the title of the book by Lucia Berlin, who was going to do a Kate Blanchett and was going to be his English debut, but he felt he canceled the project because he felt like he didn't have a good enough command of the English language. It's like, well, that's what your AD is there to help with. So maybe that's why, I don't know. Based on the recommendation of your sister, we watched the Netflix documentary, Take Care of Maya. Directed by Henry Roosevelt. It was very interesting. Like, it's great for conversation. I think the documentary itself was a little manipulative, but um, it's basically about this. Very manipulative, yeah. It's about this woman whose daughter suffered from a mysterious condition and was going to many doctors trying to get help and ultimately found a doctor who was providing what turned out to be a controversial treatment, which was basically giving this little girl very high doses of ketamine. Well, they actually wouldn't put her, she had to go to Mexico to be put into a ketamine coma. But then was using high doses of ketamine as pain management. Yes. So one day- She relapses. The the girl relapses and the mother doesn't know what to do. So she takes her to this one hospital's ER. By the way, they're in Florida. They're in Florida. So, you know, there And the hospital uh, is like, well, we like, because the mother's being very demanding. The mother also happens to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. So she's being very demanding. Like, and you need to give my daughter these outrageous doses of ketamine. And they're like, uh, no, we don't do that here. We're going to evaluate her and treat her accordingly. And that's when we find out that in this county in Florida, Child Protective Services is privatized. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's a conflict there because they have a strong interest in getting children placed into foster care or being part of the system. So the social worker affiliated with CPS basically takes this girl away from her parents and has done this to many, many parents come to find what up anyway, but the gag of the documentary. So spoiler is that the mother commits suicide because she's so upset. She thinks this is the only way her daughter will be released from the hospital, which I, we had a very long conversation. I think this mother's manipulative. I don't think that this mother deserved to have her daughter taken away from her, but I do see how the medical staff, because we find out later during the court trial that the medical staff didn't necessarily agree with the social worker who are the the doctor and the social worker who are affiliated with Child Protective Services. However, and you said this, which I agree, I think what happened is this mother rubbed the medical staff the wrong way. Well, she offended the wrong person. She, one, she we're in Florida. Two, she's a Polish immigrant, so she has a strong accent. And you know these, you know... I don't know how my mom was a registered nurse. I met many assholeish doctors that felt like they were special people just because. And uh, yeah, you say the wrong thing to those people, they will try to ruin you. However, you you offend the wrong person and now they have their sights on you. So I think it is le- there is a system in place to protect people, children from parents who believe that they should do these alternative treatments that might harm the... I mean, imagine if you have a child with diabetes and then your parents bring you in and say that they believe that honey will cure you and that you can only give them honey. Well, I right. feel like that child should be taken away from those parents. So that's essentially what was happening to this girl, except that they were taking it too far. And I think the mother killing herself thinking that's the only way her daughter could be free because at one point a law enforcement agent is asked interviewing the husband well, who's not the brightest bulb he, to be sure no he's like i didn't know they were recording this conversation girl they ask him if if we could get your daughter back but only you have custody of her would you do that 
And he said, yes. And then he told his wife that. Mm -hmm. So she, you, she used that as sort of the basis for why she killed herself. But it's like, well, no, bitch, you could have just like said, yeah, my husband can have custody. And then when my daughter turns 18, she can decide to be with me again. Like, <laughs> well, the other gag is the hospital, what the hospital was billing them for. Yes. So this is one of those documentaries that, you know, it ended like at the beginning of 2023, but then there are developments after the fact. Mm -hmm. So the family sued the hospital for all kinds of things. And we find out after the documentary was complete that they actually want a huge settlement. But part of the reason the hospital got hemmed up is they were saying they were taking the daughter. Part of the reason why they took the daughter away is they were saying that her diagnosis, which is this controversial, it's sort of like this chronic pain syndrome mm -hmm. that's vague to define and that they didn't believe that, she, that, that that was the source of her problem. But then when they were billing for the 70 plus days she was in the hospital or 90 days, that's what they built her for. Mm -hmm. This condition that they were using as the basis for <laughs> keeping her away from parents. keeping her away from her parents because yeah. they said that was not real. So of course they got hemmed up and. I would hide, even knowing the spoiler of the mom killing herself, I Which would I did know. And I didn't. I would definitely recommend watching it with people to discuss because we had a pretty heated discussion because I, <clears throat> I, to me, it wasn't like, oh, how could this happen to this family? I see why it happened. The mom was overbearing and unreasonable. The other thing is like, all she cared about was, I want to alleviate, alleviate my child's pain. I'm going to be this fucking rhinoceros in this hospital like you need to make my daughter not have pain but then from my mind i'm thinking and this is maybe the documentarian's fault we never get a sense of like what was the long-term plan this 10 year old can't take high doses of ketamine for the rest of her life what is the long-term plan and then the gag is once she gets into the hospital and they have her for all that time and they are not giving her ketamine she still seems like she's getting better. And then we get to, cause all of this happened like in 2017, 2018. So now we see the girl in 2022 and she's a teenager mm -hmm. and she looks perfectly healthy. She can walk, she roller ice skates, does all that. No one ever explains. There's, there's, I had so many questions. I feel like we were missing out on an objective viewpoint of other right. physicians to be like, yes, she was diagnosed by these medically licensed professionals that has this syndrome. They treated her with ketamine. She was placed in a hospital for 90 days where she didn't have ketamine, was treated with other medications. And, and she got better. And she got better and she's still okay. So where are we... Where we needed to start getting into, I think, some attachment issues between this mother and daughter, and and also how maybe the daughter's identity is completely formed by having this diagnosis. Yes, and, yes. Uh, because I wondered the conversation we had. I wondered what would this daughter have turned out to be if her mother was still alive, and and making this medical condition her daughter's entire personality that's not to say i don't believe in that diagnosis no it's, no it's just, i think the mother was harmful to the daughter well i think that it it goes back to the system in, in the med the, the medical health profession in this country and and how there's a, there's a real lack for sussing out things in gray areas and th there's it's very easy to slip through the cracks and 
I, I think this was a case in point of, of that, where the court system doesn't care what happens to this little girl. They just don't want to be made to blame for making the wrong decision by putting her back in the right. hands of uh, potentially abusive parents. When the parents, I don't believe, are abusive, but also probably need a different kind of help. Yeah, I agree as, with you. Like, like as well. I, don't I, know. I agree with you, but I think a lot of things can be true. And I do feel like a big component of why what happened happened is the, the, this feeling people have of like, I have to advocate for my family, my family. Like I need but this. But that's this I country. Need... That's this country. And it's like, you're being like, you're blinded by this obligatory like rage when it's like, maybe your daughter, like, it's okay for her to be a little uncomfortable while we try to figure out yes. what to do, but you just won't let her have an ounce of pain. You won't let her do, <laughs> I don't know. I just... I, I think the fact that we're still talking about it means that it's effective. Um, but like you said, I still had a lot of, but questions. it's just like, you know, the judge that said they, they pointed, they asked this before the mother killed herself, asked this Viata was the mother's name. Like the, her lawyer asked if, um, you know, would you let her see her daughter? Cause she have a hug. And the judge is like, no, it's like there, there's no reason that she couldn't see her kid with that old crusty white lady in the room and give her kid a hug. There's, there's, I, I there's agree no goddamn you. reason for that. I, I agree. But again, we have a system and it's, and it's overworked and, but it's like things fall through the everybody's cracks. Everybody's overworked like and it makes them want to be, ap they're apathetic. And then it's like, they're prone to cruelty. And it's like, there's, you, 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 we can't forget, especially in these places that we're dealing with humans. Sure. I, yeah. Moving on, you've talked about this movie before. Menus plaisirs. Menus plaisirs les trois guaux. The latest uh, four hour film from Frederick Wiseman. You uh, watched which, it again. No, I'd never seen it. But it oh, won. in the last podcast, you talked about it. I did because it won uh, Best Documentary oh. out of the uh, uh, from Lafka. So, how did you like it? Uh, I. It's a Wiseman film. It's four hours. It's kind of relaxing. What's watching. the subject? It's it's uh, kind of the process of this restaurant putting together a menu oh. for patrons, a very fancy menu, and this you know spending a lot of time with the chef and seeing kind of all of the thought that goes into making these dishes, be, you know, that are at a certain price point and there are certain expectations. Uh, and, you know, in the days leading up to, it, it, it covers kind of all aspects, like the people that are paying to be there ahead of time, looking at the menu and the preparation of all the food, the the wait staff, the, it, it's pretty fascinating. It's just, you know, it's just four hours. It sounds interesting. I think you would, I actually think you would enjoy it. Next, Fanny and Alexander. Okay, so for, for the 40th anniversary, uh, Lemley's had a one-night-only screening of this in L.A., uh, an Ingmar Bergman classic from 1982, so it's actually over 40, uh, that I'd never seen. Uh, it's a, also a Criterion release, and it's actually kind of maybe a Christmas film, but wow, excellent. Just an excellent film. The Mother of All Lies. Uh, okay, well, we're done talking about that then. Uh, the Mother of All Eyes, this is Morocco's uh, submission for Best International Feature, directed by Azme El Moudir, which was in Un Certain Regard of Cannes, where I was about to see it and then decided to sleep in that morning. Uh, this was pretty interesting. It's about a filmmaker um, 
a young Moroccan woman who creates this handmade set with her father of of their town, their neighborhood from uh, the early 80s, right before these infamous bread riots, which kind of uh, affected her family detrimentally in this kind of going into very personal things and also uh, cultural connections with the country. But I'd recommend it. It's worth watching. This next one will be controversial. You watched Bring It On for the first time, Which and I, it was my first time watching it as I, well. Yes, I'd never seen this. Um, from Peyton Reed, who's directed the last three Ant-Man movies, so I'm already tired of his ass. And this movie has uh, significance in my life because when I was, uh, years and years ago, I had a group of friends, and one of them, because we thought it'd be funny to give fake names at the bar, like when guys would mm-hmm. try to talk to you and you don't really want to hear all that like we all had fake names and my friend gave me the name lafred so i would often tell these bad talking to be my name is lafred and then i had a fake phone number that if you dialed it it basically said the person who mm-hmm. you're trying to call doesn't want to talk to you and then we learned watching bring it on that it, lafred is from that movie yeah <laughs> i prefer the name janelope though but what what's your overall thought of bring it on i it's odd what strikes uh, into the hearts of many because I don't I this film didn't really appeal to me I thought it was really basic I preferred something like Clueless people talk about bring it on like it's like a Mean Girls or a Clueless I thought this shit was whack it's like feels, <laughs> it feels pretty toothless uh, the cheers are whack and then I think the difference between because you know East Compton High is sort of the 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 black cheer squad led by Gabrielle Union that the other the white cheer squad, the Toros, led by Kirsten Dunst, the stealing their cheers. Yes. So I was expecting to get some HBCU, Beyonce homecoming level cheerleaders. No. They, <laughs> they were all whacked to me. Well, the, these, the white people that created this weren't about to go that far. Um, just like there's a lot of uh, homophobia that's like, oh, this oh, is completely normal. My, can we talk about the homophobia? Because uh, they use the F slur numerous times. This is like watching films from the 50s or 60s where people are, or, well, more like 60s and even 70s, where it's just like, hey, N-word. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, this? it's so stupid because the the one guy who gets the brunt of it is a cheer like one of the male cheerleaders on the toros and he's clearly not gay the film makes a point to show he's not gay because there's like a audition and he's lusting after the girls and he doesn't act gay he's just a male cheerleader but then it's like i i guess because it was the year whatever 2000 2000 it's like you can't not say that word well it's so, and it's like you know that they thought this was progressive because at the end of the film the one cheer guy who clearly is gay, we see him meet another guy at the cheer competition. And basically all he says is, hey, how's it going? Good luck. And that's supposed to be like, see, we're acknowledging that it's okay to be gay. I don't know. It was all very whack. But I, yeah, this movie wasn't funny. It Kirsten was cute. Gab Union's cute. I, but I didn't. I wouldn't even call this movie cute. It's but... not funny enough. The cheers aren't well done enough the dancing's not fly but enough like nothing about it is enough so confused about how there are no adults ever like there are no you do see kirsten dunn's parents but yeah, there are a lot of moments when you would expect to see adult uh intervention or interaction like and there, there is a, none. but they're on a high and they look like the high school looks like it's san juan capistrano but <laughs> they are 
on high school property in the gym and there's no adults ever like monitoring what's going on. Yeah. I find that, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Moving on. Trenke Lequen. Trenke Lequen, uh, directed by, I believe you say Laura Citorea, uh, Argentinian film. It's about four and a half hours long. Uh, that is ending up on many people's year-end best list. It technically premiered at the Venice Film Festival in 2022 in Orizonte. Uh, finally caught up with it. It is very interesting. It does not need to be four and a half hours, but I did like it. It is a very circuitous kind of mystery thriller. And I, by the last hour, I was into it. But for the first... It's about a missing woman and these two men trying to find him. One one is her coworker slash maybe eventual lover, and one is her boyfriend. And she's a botanist. And it turns out she discovered something weird, this strange creature th that these two women were harboring. But anyway, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, it's just long. You rewatched The Firm? Yeah, I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Uh, you know, I love Sidney Pollock. I forgot what a great cast this film had but it's it's a good thriller it's a very good thriller i remember reading the book i had a short john grisham phase in elementary school with this and the pelican brief and a time to kill yeah i rewatched this film a couple of years ago and recall enjoying it and i watched a nice portion of it with you and you know i, I i'm everyone hates on me but i do like tom cruise <laughs> i thought he was good in this um i like tom cruise then i like him now uh but yeah i, I don't know that scene with i don't gary... know his personal life and if i went into some of y'all's you're raggedy and crazy too so <laughs> the scene with gary Busey being killed with holly hunter in the office is great i i uh tobin bell who i he wouldn't... looks he's never been cute i like, guess like the nordic man <laughs> oh boy uh yeah as a kid i wouldn't know who he was but he's a crazy bird he does oh and dean norris is his little cohort from breaking bad uh it's funny to go back and watch that and all these faces you wouldn't pay attention to back then you're like oh you watch something called aloise uh aloise yes i have finally found a copy of this i've been wanting to watch it for years and years and years i believe it's isabella Huppert's first caesar nod Maybe first oh, time. Oh, is that the Cannes. clip you posted where yes. she says something about stupid stupidity? Yeah, as usual. Uh, it's directed by Liliane de Kermadac, who I believe died in 2020. But it's about a young woman, uh, right? She's Aloise is played by three different people. It opens with a girl. We're told that her mother has just died. And then it skips to her being played as a young woman by Isabelle Huppert, who wants to be an opera singer. And she's in oh. Switzerland and then takes a job working for a uh, chaplain in Germany. And then she becomes Delphine Seerig. And then World War One starts and the German family she works for is like, look, you got to go back home. And she loses her GD mind and gets put in an asylum because she doesn't want to go back. Uh, it's very interesting. It reminded me a lot of this book I read by Ernst Weiss, who is a Kafka a friend of Kafka called uh, Francisca about this Austrian woman that's trying very hard to be a, a pianist. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's very entertaining. Isabel is only in the first half hour, but it's weird seeing her as a little nasty 23 year old that wasn't any friendlier then than she is now. But uh, I also really love Delphine Seerig. So this was a, a must watch film for me at some point. So I'm very glad to have found it. My other mother. You and I watched this because we saw the poster of Essence Atkins uh, flanked oh by God. Jasmine Guy and Lynn Whitfield. I forgot about this already. <laughs> yes, the poster is 
Essence Adkins, who we all love. She's very she's a great comedic actor. Yeah, dramatic. I don't know. Flanked by Jasmine Guy and Lynn Whitfield. So we stopped in our tracks and mm-hmm. put this shit on. It's from 2014. I have to say, it's 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 in a like Inspire original. So I guess there's some network called Inspire that makes like religious type movies or faith based inspirational movies. Luckily, that was mostly on the back burner. But I I think the story itself was not bad. No, but whomever made this movie is not a good filmmaker. No, and even I know because like all the shot, like it's just like not good. Doesn't have a good eye. Uh, for anything i think <laughs> no lynn whitfield executive produced and i think she gives a good performance she shows up later in the film jasmine guy is styled like she is part of some autumnal wreath or she could have been like in Juniper return Berry. to oz yeah she could have been like one of the background cast members in some scene where dorothy's being attacked i don't know we need to take another break we had one last film we watched for fun, Nick of Time, starring Johnny Deep. Yep, which I haven't also seen forever, um, w- directed by John Badham, who's uh, known for Saturday Night Fever and War Games, but in the 90s had a string of these kind of B-grade thrillers. Um, it was okay. It's one of those films where there's like a timer, mm-hmm. like the protagonist has... 60 minutes to complete a task so as the audience were watching the film in real time mm-hmm. i johnny depp is great on screen his character is such a wet rag though but it's i mean but that's what makes this kind of movie fun because as the audience we're like i would have done this i would have done that right. and the, to, to me that's fun to sit there and be like oh hell no but i think christopher walken is a lot of fun he's always fun i mean uh in his little sidekick played by uh what's her name uh roma mafia whose hair always bothers i know me. but she's she to get her shit together she's kind of entertaining as a murderous woman uh glory rubin ain't got shit to do but she ends up getting killed and the first thing I said when she got shot is that's what she gets for trying to kill Rachel Marin oh, in the bodyguard. Um, I thought Marsha Mason as the governor. Is, I liked her actually. Yeah, I liked her too. I oh, and uh, Charles S. Dutton. Oh, they have him in there playing the shoeshine man, the disabled veteran. He has a moment where he beats a bitch down with his prosthetic leg that oh, had my. that had me on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god yeah it's a very and uh, it's short it's only 89 minutes well because it's supposed to play in real time i would i i don't know what i gave i gave this movie two and a half out of five but yeah but it was a fun watch because it's kind of dumb it's dumb but yeah it was entertaining well the whole premise of like we got to kill the governor it it, spoiler the the governor's husband's trying to kill her for Mm -hmm. some vague reason like she's not well no it's interesting well she's not listening to like campaign she changed her tune she became progressive because she's oh, that's being reelected right. and so the people that got her into office in the first time are very upset about that so like they just want to kill her but if you start to kind of pull at the thread of like well, this was their plan to get rid of her it's but it that's is, what i think the problem is the, the the actual plan feels kind of like okay but it is creepy thinking like everybody surrounding her knows that johnny depp is there to kill her and they are yeah everyone's in on it her secret <sighs> service all them or her security uh but moving on to the obit we unfortunately there are entries in the obituary section oh yeah first um you had sent me this uh 
Trailblazing actress Ellen Holly of White Plains, star of One Life to Live, dies at 92. Yeah. Ellen Holly was the first black person to have a lead role on a daytime television show. But I was reading about her and she, you know, beyond that distinction, she's very interesting. Um, later in her life, she moved to White Plains to become a librarian because of her love of books. And her great-grandmother was the first African-American woman to earn a medical doctorate in New York State. Wow. So her family, um, it's pretty impressive. They were involved in getting Black families to settle in the historic, uh, like in a historic neighborhood in Brooklyn. Uh, So, yeah. God, it's so funny to think of time and this woman who has, in in her 90s and... (laughs) All of those things. Yeah. like All of that cool. change. Moving on. Andre Brower died. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. And he was only 61. 61. Yeah. We need to rewatch Glory. But what do people know him from most as uh, he was in Nine, those. Brooklyn like, Nine-Nine. Yeah. Police dramas. like And then Homicide Life on the Street. Yes. Seen him in many, many things. Uh, but I, I do want to rewatch Glory. I haven't seen that in forever. Then Ken Kelsch died. Uh, he was 76, very notable cinematographer, worked a lot with Abel Ferrara, uh, notably Bad Lieutenant, the first one with Harvey oh. Cartel, which you've never seen, which nope. is great. Um, but yeah, he's mm. dead. Lastly, Guy Marchand. Guy Marchand. Uh, he was 86. Uh, he worked in the late 70s, early 80s, quite a bit with Isabelle Aupère. He was an entre nous, Coup de Torchon, Lulu. That's uh, a really great Maurice Pilaf film. Uh, in the p- more contemporary times, he has a really great supporting role in Christophe Honoré's Dans Paris. Uh, if you saw his face, maybe you'll recognize him. What I didn't know about him is in the 60s, he was also a musician. He was into jazz and had, I believe, has some albums. I, I didn't know, uh, I didn't realize his duality, but uh, yeah, I have fond memories of his face when I was first discovering Isabel. Mm. All right. The secret film this week was your choice, and you chose the 1989 Christmas fantasy drama film Prancer. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose Prancer? I have very fond memories of my mother taking me to see this film. And, uh, and she probably took you because she wanted to see Sam Elliott. In oh, it. she had hot drawers for Sam Elliott. This yeah. is the same year as that other film he did with Patrick Swayze. Roadhouse. Where he looks really good. I thought he He's very handsome really good. in Prancer. I thought too. he really looked really But I, it's weird thinking back because this is set in Michigan, but it's weird to see this now. And it's like there are so many things that were very similar to my childhood in northern Minnesota triggered in the winter with a cranky father who can't express his emotions. The story of Prancer, a farm girl nurses a wounded reindeer she believes is one of Santa's, hoping to bring it back to health in time for Christmas. Her holiday spirit inspires those around her, something her disheartened father is having trouble understanding. I had never seen this movie. I thought it was cute. It's very sweet. So the little farm girl, her name is Jessica. Mm-hmm. Played and by Rebecca Harold Tickle. She lives in Michigan in a rural area with her father and her brother. The mother has recently died. So the family has this cloud over it. The dad seems real sad and depressed. And on top of that, they're having financial trouble. 
So we find out the dad's plan is to send his daughter to go live with her aunt. Who is Rutanya Alda, who many will know as uh, Faye Barbara, Dun please. Faye Dunaway is Joan Crawford's uh, maid. Uh, so there's that going on. But one day, little Jessica's out in the woods where she's not supposed to be, and she spots this reindeer. And that's very exciting to her because the opening of the film is uh, her little town has set up their Christmas decorations. And one of them is this, like, these ornaments, these big ornaments over, like, an intersection, the main intersection in town with Santa, his sleigh, and his reindeer. And Jessica witnesses one of the reindeer fall, prancer, and breaks on the ground. So now she's out in these woods, sees a reindeer. Her dad gets mad at her, like, I told you not to go in those woods. It's dangerous. Someone might shoot you. And then we see that the reindeer who we're calling Prancer has been shot. Mm -hmm. And Jessica's begging her dad to help it. And the dad's like, yeah, I'm going to help it. I'm going to put it out of its misery. <laughs> so the Jessica's begging, like, don't kill Prancer. And then all of a sudden, Prancer vanishes. And then we see that Prancer has taken refuge in Jessica's barn. So she's trying to take care of Prancer, mainly by feeding it sugar cookies. But she does get the town vet to help her remove the bullet. Which is a great scene with Abe Vigoda. We need to talk about that scene. Mm -hmm. But Prancer needs real food because Prancer's been eating some of the hay that Sam Elliott keeps for his animals. And Sam Elliott is noticing something's eating his hay. And he says, I'm going to kill whatever's doing it. So, of course... Jessica panics, so she needs to raise money so she can buy real food for Prancer. And she does so by helping Cloris Leachman, the crazy lady in town, like do some cleaning. Mm -hmm. So she gets this money, buys the hay. But <laughs> I think the most raggedy part of the story is Jessica writes a letter to Santa. And she goes to the, like, the mall to sit on Santa's lap gives the letter to Santa and she tells him, I know you're not Santa, but maybe you can, you, you can help me get this letter to him. This fake store Santa takes her letter and gives it to the local newspaper mm -hmm. and the local newspaper prints her letter and writes a full article around it. Mm -hmm. So that day at church, so one day at church, the pastor is reading this article and calls out little Jessica is having a reindeer at her house. Thankfully, Sam Elliott doesn't go to church, but she runs home to try to like grab the newspaper from him. And we see that the entire town has showed up at their house to get a glimpse of the reindeer. So of course he freaks out, gets mad, sells the reindeer. To Mark Rolston from Aliens. Oh, and also that Santa that did this to her, that is Michael Constantine, who is the head. Uh, I know this is not a... Uh, uh, nomadic person, because we can't say gypsy anymore, uh, in the movie Thinner, the one that has that line that I love, die clean, white man from town, die clean. So Jessica goes to try and rescue Prancer from its cage, but she falls out of a tree and hurts herself. So she has to go to the hospital. She goes back home, and now she's despondent. She doesn't care about Christmas. She won't talk, eat, whatever. And that's at the end when the dad realizes like that he needs to do a better job. Mm -hmm. He needs to get over his bullshit and take care of his kid. And then he tells her, I bought back Prancer. And then I was a little vague on this too, because he buys back the reindeer, but then it seems like with the sole purpose of releasing it back to the wild, maybe. Yeah. But then 
when they do just well, because she has a plan that she wrote in her letter to release it on antler ridge so santa could come get oh okay so it does make sense so they go and really the reason i was confused is because when she releases it she's acting like where are you going and then we see that antler ridge is like this this cliff that has an extreme drop off it is a huge press and we see prancer run away from these people like that video you see on tiktok of that lady putting her duck into the river and that duck couldn't get away from that lady fast enough. And then it looks like Prancer just jumped off the cliff, Mm -hmm. which of course would have killed it. But then, you know, is it a Christmas miracle? Is Prancer really Santa's reindeer? And then of course the final shot is we see Santa and his reindeer flying away. Yeah. So Prancer really was Santa's reindeer. The end. All kinds of uh, notable things. Uh, names amongst the children, including Jesse Bradford in a bit role before, mm-hmm. before bringing on Ariana Richards, who everybody should know from Jurassic Park, and Johnny Galecki. I was going to go through my notes. The opening of the film, we see Jessica, like, she's in some, I believe it's like a church or school production of like the nativity scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this shit was, but Jessica was like, I'm not going to be a background singer. <laughs> she is screeching all of her little lyrics. That music teacher is so annoyed. I thought Jessica was annoying. You did, but she she felt like a real little girl. And I thought she was annoying. But she's I thought she's so sweet. And, Which she's I'll, a, and what a really good performance from this little kid. She was all right. I'll, um, I'll, she, I'll, I thought I'll, she did a great job. I'll get back to her being annoying in a minute. Uh, during the little theater production of whatever they were doing, <laughs> yes, they drop a bunch of snow on those kids. The birth of like they don't care if it's non-toxic or not they just dropped like a huge amount oh my god when that reindeer ornament falls from the intersection there's this toyota camry driving and it hits it mm-hmm. and that car runs off like it had just robbed a bank <laughs> i didn't understand why it did that <laughs> startled they're startled okay jessica's older brother if jessica's like nine then the brother maybe is like 11 or 12 or 12 like right about to hit puberty i, I thought the brother looked like leia Seydoux. sure and John i duda and i was surprised that the brother who looks very femi uh and has a fake earring in mm-hmm. i'm very surprised that a character like sam elliott's let him wear that earring well i mean i I would do shit like that at that age. And I think your parents just kind of Sam Elliott's playing a man who's mourning the loss of his wife and does not know how to deal with these kids at all. No. So I think he's looking to not engage. You're, you're probably, I think you're right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So when we meet Cloris Leachman, who looks insane and you said, she looks exactly like my paternal grandmother. (laughs) crazy well she had mental health issues but uh she did her makeup like this exactly uh and had this thin bony makeup and hair that was not unlike that either it's kind of it's startling to my family when we meet chloris it's because jessica and her best friend this little girl with horrible bangs. Carol, that's the Jurassic Park girl. Oh, her! I didn't understand her bangs because they're in, they are blown out. They are so teased. big and blown out and teased, and it's like, but we're in the dead of winter, and we see them wearing beanies all the time. Like, how are you maintaining this poof? But anyway, they're sledding down a mountain toward towards Cloris Leachman's house, and Cloris Leachman comes out of that house like a Tasmanian devil with a big ass shovel 
Like, if you come on my property, I'm going to get you. She's acting like the Wicked Witch of the West. She's like, this is private property. She even says, like, I'm going to get you too. Yeah. Terrorists. And they, yeah, calling them terrorists. And Jessica's sled runs into the yard and, like, tears down one of her rose bushes. Oh, several. And Cloris is hot. I thought the little girl playing Jessica Mm -hmm. looked like Mia Goth. Yeah, she does, actually. Mm -hmm. She's a filmmaker now. The scene that made me laugh the hardest is when Jessica's with her little best friend, Carol, with those bangs. And Carol's like, bitch, I don't believe in Santa Claus. Like, what are you talking about? And Jessica gets so mad. And when Carol says that, Jessica goes, what? She's like, yeah, I don't believe in heaven either. And... Well, that's the sad part. It is. Well, because Jessica's mom died and she believes she's in heaven. She's but... like, well, then where's my mom? And then Jessica's like, well, then we can't be friends if you're not going to believe. And Carol gets, she gets bothered. She's like, I do, I do, I do believe in heaven. I felt bad for Carol. Like, I did too. With this controlling. Trying to be friends with controlling, annoying girl who believes in uh, magic. But, oh, oh. When Jessica finds out that her dad wants to send her away and she's begging him if she can stay, they're sitting in the truck. Mm-hmm. I thought it sound she sounded like um like like an adult woman whose man is trying to leave her. Oh boy. And and then I thought, I bet when Jessica grows up, she she would be the type of lady. She would be the type of woman who thinks she can fix a raggedy ass man. Well, because you, this, the family dynamic is she's completely ignored and left left to her own devices. So yes, I I could see that happening to her too. But I I have hope for her by the end of the film. Okay, the best moment in the film is when Jessica goes to get the vet, played by Abe Vigoda, and he is not trying to fool with this girl everyone thinks she's annoying and he is just like no bitch i've been up all night dealing with cows and horses i don't have time for your shit and she's begging him like please please help me and he comes over and sees that reindeer and he's like you tricked me (laughs) yeah and he's about to drive off and he yeah he's about to drive off like he's pulling out of the driveway with jessica hanging from the truck and he's talking all kinds of shit. I thought that was hilarious. But I, but what's so good about the scene is also what she says to convince him otherwise. Like she gets him because her mom has died, and she says something about how doctors aren't like are liars and can't do shit anyway. Yeah. So he's, he's like, like, okay. Fuck. And then when he does finally help her, Jessica tells him, "History is going to love you for this." Yeah. She does have some cute lines. She's like, "Isn't Prancer beautiful?" He's like, "It's a cow with antlers." Okay, so now that Prancer's on the mend, Jessica's doing everything she can to help. But this is after her dad told her, like, bitch, as soon as your auntie gets here, you're going to go live with her. So I guess I didn't understand if since Jessica's so smart, shouldn't she be on her P's and Q's if you've already been told, like, you're on the way out? Like, why are you aggravating your dad more? But her dad is also operating in a way that he's not following through even with punishment. So... I, sure. I don't know. I think she's so upset. You know, when you're a little kid and you're you have this kind of magical secret, I can see her not thinking straight as well. When Jessica goes to sit on Santa's lap, he goes, "You're kind of heavy to sit on." <laughs> <laughs> so now she's going to have body issues. She's going to be the type of lady to try to fix broken men, and she's going to have body issues. Yeah. Uh, so when Jessica goes to Cloris Leachman's house, she goes with the intention of trying to make some money. And Cloris Leachman says, well, 
because Jessica offers to clean mm-hmm. and Cloris gets excited. So, you know, it's some bullshit if yeah. she's excited and then she takes her up to the, like the attic and wants her to do all this shit for $5, but Jessica has no choice. So because <laughs> she needs money to buy oats. Yeah. yeah. When Cloris goes back up to check on her, she brings her some cookies and all of a sudden Cloris is in a good mood. And then she sees that Jessica has hung up a bunch of Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. And this was a line of dialogue that made no sense to me because Jessica goes, well, why don't you hang your Christmas lights up anymore? You used to do it all the time. And people would come from miles and keep around. People come from miles around. But this girl's like nine years old. And the way Cloris looks and acts and the way condition of her house, you would assume that she hasn't hung up her lights for years because yeah, of some trauma. But in a small town like this, people would still talk about stuff. So this little girl. I thought it was weird that this little girl seemed to understand like the history of this woman's uh, holiday decorations. But then when Cloris sees her lights, then she goes, okay, well, you can hang them up. And so they hang them outside and Cloris. What gets me about that is she has this little girl on the top of her big She really did. She had this girl on the top of the house, like hanging lights. And then she ends up giving her $15. She's like, you did $15 worth of work. But what gets me about that scene is, you know, Cloris clearly has gone through something in her life uh, and is all alone. And you don't need to know what, but you know exactly kind of how this woman's probably feeling. And then Jessica gets that money and she tears off. She's like, wait, come back from milk and cookies. And she goes, I have something important to do. And that I know I felt bad because she was like, well, damn. Cloris wanted company. And it's like, oh, it's just sad. Sam Elliott sold Prancer for $200, mm-hmm. which was a lot of money in. 1989 yeah and then in a rural area i kind of felt like i mean i I wouldn't have been mad if he sold prince um when when jessica finds out her dad sold prancer she decides to run away and her brother leia sedu is trying to stop her as she tells her brother with prancer gone there's nothing left for me in this town oh but Isn't it sad that this little girl felt that way? You know, I have no feelings, but it's funny to me. Okay. But that's a very touching scene, too, because her her brother says, he he does. Yeah. You care about you're right. It is. Uh, But getting back to Jessica being like a residious little girl, the community. So we're told that they want to have a party for Jessica because everyone finds out that she's despondent after her reindeer leaves or gets sold in her accident, even though the reindeer is sold to a local man who has it on display, but she got, she hurt herself trying to, she did. So this party basically amounts to like a bunch of Christmas carolers. They do come inside the house. Oh, do they? Yeah. But I was confused because does anyone like Jessica like that? Well, but they all, every person in the community seems annoyed by her. But See at this point, because of the newspaper article has inspired the community. Sure. But I mean, every person who came in contact with Jessica, even when the ornament broke and that, and she's following the man, like, are you going to fix it? He looks at her and goes, ugh. Like everyone can know her teacher, the people at church. But they all show up to sing carols. Even the vet who handles animals can't stand your ass. Oh, another got to be real quote. Someone tells Mariah Carey, why don't you just do a duet with Christina Aguilera and get it over with? And Mariah goes, Everyone knows that you don't work with children or animals, so why would I sing with a baby goat? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, didn't you think the editing was weird? Yeah, like it's shot for a television. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, the the transitions are a bit jarring. Okay. But I was straight up in tears at the scene with Sam Elliott and 
Jessica in the bedroom and when he's reading to her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't have to. You were making keto jokes, but I was (laughs) crying. (laughs) Um, Okay. What would you give Prancer? Three and a half. I, I would give Prancer three out of five. I like the texture. There's some grittiness to it. It's there's, you know, like it strays into the realm of trauma that a lot of Christmas films for families and children seem to actively avoid now, which I believe that is also part of life and we need to explore. Um, I don't know. There's just kind of a sense of magic about this film that a lot of things don't have. I agree. I mean, it did feel somewhat magical and it did have a lot of sweet moments and I, you know, I do think it's good, but it makes me think about, I won't talk. We don't have time for me to get into Christmas and what it means, but it, I, I do. I, I often think if I had children, I, I don't think I would try to make them believe in Santa and this idea of getting gifts and writing lists. Well, no, I would be sure it'd be like, those gifts are from me. I paid for this. Well, I just think it's weird. Like, what does Christmas mean? And then I don't believe in the meaning of Christmas, like like what it's celebrating. So I just, I don't know. I But you know me, I don't like any holidays where I feel obligated to do stuff. I don't like to feel obligated to do anything we know. that should be organic and yes. feel inspired. Sure. So birthdays, Valentine's Day, all that. But I just think it's interesting that the moral of this story, the, the ending kind of got me because I kind of wished you made a good point that makes sense, but I wish that we wouldn't have seen Santa's sleigh. Sure. But then of course, like you said, that would be traumatizing to kids to think that there Prancer just ran off the cliff and was there can't be ambiguity <laughs> hamburger about meat that. at the bottom. The suicidal reindeer. But then I just think like, oh, so now this little girl's gonna believe that there's a Santa, but then what is next like they still are experiencing extreme hardship. Sam Elliott still doesn't have any money. Mama's still dead. There still will be no presence under the christmas tree because mm-hmm. it's not christmas yet mm-hmm. and she just saw santa yeah but there won't so i just i don't know i it's all a little weird to me but i don't blame people for enjoying christmas and like you said the holiday season is a time where people i think what's nice about it there's there's always a sadness to me about christmas because there's the expectation and the re- versus the reality of things. And it's kind of like, you know, I love Mariah Carey's uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, but I think I I prefer Darlene Love's, you know, Christmas, baby, please come home. Because, oh. because it's just like, this is usually the feeling of what, what could it be? Uh, but I don't know. I like that it is a season where people try to be friendlier, but and if you go to certain areas, you can feel that kind of energy in the air, and and that's a nice feeling. But I, I also uh, balk at the kind of forced, like we everything shut down, and I have to do this on this day. Like I don't like that either. So, what are your favorite Christmas songs? The Darling Love, da- Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, I Love, and uh, All, All I, I Want for Christmas, Christmas Is You. Mine are. Joy to the World by Whitney Houston and Oh Holy Night by Celine Dion. That was Prancer. I did want to quickly mention Oprah Winfrey was on the Sherry Shepherd show. Promoting the new color Promoting purple, the color which purple. Pro- executive produced. I would recommend watching. I, I She I, looks I, great. Oh, Oprah's on Ozempic she for looks sure. Fantastic. Yeah, My Oprah God. looks amazing. But you know, I, I have to admit, as much as I couldn't stand Sherry Shepherd on the view. Um, and you made a good point about probably why I really do like her daytime talk show. I think because she was surrounded by women who are arguably more 
equipped to make their dumb arguments. Sherry just always seems so stupid. But now that she's free to just be a bubbly, positive person and tell her little jokes, I really like her energy. And it's a stark contrast to Wendy Williams, who was oh, well, pretty negative. Negative and nasty, but but which you know, which is entertaining too. But we only have like one minute left. I wanted to say people should check out the interview because you know, it's kind of remarkable that in the history, I mean, I grew up watching Oprah and, and, and you've never seen someone talk to Oprah this way. Right. And it just feels kind of cool. Like, you know, it, it, I think it's a testament to Sherry Shepard's energy. Like she seems really authentic and fun and you, you've never seen someone talk to Oprah the way Sherry Shepard is. <laughs> and it was, and Oprah handled it really well. Yeah. So I think that was good for Oprah, too, because it seems like Oprah has somewhat of a sense of humor, even though she's out of touch. But for sure. But yeah, she and Oprah tells Sherry Shepard that she's passing the torch to her, which is funny because Oprah in that same week was on the Jennifer Hudson show. Mm -hmm. And all she said to Jennifer Hudson was like, look at you now. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, everyone's shading that one bitchy Uh, there's some guy whose name I don't even bother remembering who's become famous for making really um, like really nasty comments about celebrities to get like to have these clips go viral. But he has that one clip where he's like, we all know Jennifer Hudson's illiterate and she's not the brightest bulb. She's not illiterate. I don't, I'm not saying she's illiterate. She reads scripts. Hello. She, she, but I don't think, I don't, I don't think Jennifer Hudson is a good talk show host. I think she's coasting right now because most of the people on her show are fans of hers. Like they know her. It's kind of like Kelly Clarkson. People Mm -hmm. know her and like her. So her interactions with her guests are usually very favorable. Mm -hmm. I think Kelly Clarkson is more capable of having a conversation. I don't think Jennifer Hudson is very good at that. She didn't bother me. But she's lovely. But um, yeah, check out Oprah on Sherry Shepard. we need to end the podcast. What are you reading right now? Um, about halfway done with Marnie. And we have a bunch of videos dropping this coming week. And a couple of things to see. Yep. Yeah. So it'll be busy. Aquaman. Anything else? No. Ta-ta.